This episode of CyberTech is brought to you by Free Talk Live. If you want to listen to the number 26 talk show in the United States, oh baby, you know where you got to go. You go to freetalklive.com. It's an open phones call-in show. You can call in, talk about whatever you want to talk about. And you can go to their website, freetalklive.com, and listen, listen to episodes. I mean, they've been going for over a decade. You have so much to listen to there. They go seven nights a week, three hours a night. You don't want to miss it. Check it out. I don't know if you're going to be able to listen to every episode, but boy. <laughs> they become like family <laughs> Not before long you end up listening to them so much. I love it. Uh, you say, actually, I was a host at one point on free talk live for a good couple of years. Such a great time. I'm honored that they sponsor sovereign tech. Go check them out. Freetalklive.com. Now let's get to the show. Accessing historical database. Year 2020. The tech giants become aware of the greatest threat to their corporatist domination. An obscure science and tech podcast becomes a major factor in a peaceful open source revolt against the military Silicon Valley industrial complex. The podcast, Sovereign Tech. Its host, Dr. Brian Sovereign. The tech giants try to stop Sovereign Tech. They can't. Woo! The man of tomorrow is here, the Golden Stallion. Savzu, the rated R radio star, baby, ready to get into all the science and tech news that's worth talking about this week. Uh, okay, now maybe we don't talk about everything that's worth talking about, but we get in as much as we can inside of this wild ride of a couple hours. And uh, of course, we keep it as varied as we can as well. And wow, do we have some things to talk about this week? Because I saw things in the past week <laughs> that just blow my mind, but I actually play off of uh, what appears to be based on the emails I've gotten, of course, questions at sovereigntech.com. If you want to email the show, even if you don't have a question and you just want to, you know, yell at me or try to <laughs> good luck. <laughs> uh, but a controversial conversation that we had around Twitter, uh, last week, uh, as well as 5g, which, uh, I, I, you know, I'm going to save it for when we get to story of the week. Um, but for somehow people thought I went off on a deep end with 5G last week when I didn't even talk about the health concerns, which is what most people bring up. But to show, well, may, maybe to, to even follow up on that, we'll wait till we get to the main story this week. And then, you know, we'll, we'll get into that. But we're going to talk about Twitter, some more Twitter nonsense and more of, uh, well, let's let's say hypocritical uh, attitudes and platitudes on Twitter's part. But right now, I hold in my hand the Gom Jabbar. No, <laughs> no, wait, no, that's I hold at your neck. Sorry. Uh, though you could wear this around your neck. In fact, I used to do that all this. It, that's kind of ironic, too, because um, 
I did wear something relative to this around my neck uh, for many, many years. Now I just keep it on my keychain, but this is also something you could keep on your keychain. I know the mystery is killing you. What is the man of tomorrow talking about? Well, what I am talking about is a new version of tales came out, which I think is important to bring up because, and I mean, I usually let you know when a new version of tales comes out, which is, you know, the, of course the amnesic, right. Uh, you know, the tour operating system, basically, um, we cover it often on the show. Uh, I try to use it as my daily driver as much as possible. Of course, how to do that. We've covered in past episodes, but anyway, Version 4.6 came out. Now, version 4.5, we spent a little time talking about, which came out recently, because it allows Tails to uh, boot up even with secure boot still on in the UFI on your computer, on most computers. And, I mean, of course, the ramifications of that, frankly, are huge. Um, I think the ramifications of what's in version 4.6, one particular feature, I think, is, is just as key pun intended. And that is now uh, version 4.6 of tails can accept YubiKeys or, you know, anything that works as a hardware, uh, a second, second factor authentication. Now it doesn't just have to be YubiKeys. There's other companies out there, but anybody that's basically FIDO2 or part of the FIDO Alliance or, you know, that, that, that operates under that uh, will now work with tails. And this was something, if you're, I can't even remember what version of tails we were talking about that I said, Boy, I hope this comes in soon. This is one of the features that I really want able to work. <laughs> okay. Entails is give us that hardware to uh, FA, you know, let my Yubi key, which the thing that what I was referencing earlier that I used to wear my, around my neck all the time, I used to wear a Yubi key around my neck. Uh, I mean, just all the time. Like I said, now I basically keep it on my keychain. but since they're, you know, fairly indestructible, uh, my Yubi key five, um, I keep that, you know, on my keychain uh, at any given moment. And I also actually keep on my keychain. I do keep a separate flash drive that, that runs, um, that has tails installed on it because you have to run tails off of a flash drive. Now I have a flash drive that I don't keep on my keychain and that has persistent storage turned on to where I can put in custom apps and use email, you know, G, uh, PGP and everything. And I will have that into my own little laptop. And it is a very little laptop that only runs tails. Uh, okay. It does have Ubuntu 2004 on it now as well, but anyway, it was a windows machine. Haha, <laughs> No longer, but, um, yeah, I mean, these are great things to always keep on hand, uh, and for them to work in conjunction, you know, to have both my, I mean, I, I basically on my keys, I have, I have three things, three, you'll see three, what look like flash drives. Of course, a YubiKey isn't exactly a flash drive looks like one though. Um, but I'll have my YubiKey on there. I'll have another flash drive. And of course I get flash drives that are basically indestructible, you know, very waterproof, weatherproof, all that. Um, I'll have, yeah, I'll have the, uh, the YubiKey on there. I'll have another flash drive that's running, um, Steve Gibson's, of course, his hardware utility, should I say his, his hard drive utility, that being spin, right? Um, I'll have that on there and then I will have another flash drive, which will have, uh, a copy of tails on it at any given moment. And I got used to doing that because it used to be, it's, this hasn't been true since version four of tails came out. But it used to be that to make a a copy of Tails onto another flash drive, the easiest thing to do was to make it within Tails itself. So, and and I've had this happen at conferences where you know, I mean, literally, somebody will just come up to me 
Uh, in fact, a Sovereign Tech listener, uh, I can remember even recently, would come up to me and say, hey, you got a copy of Tales with you? Because I need to make a, <laughs> you know, I, I need to make a flash drive of Tales on it for whatever, I don't know, beautiful activism was going on at the time. And uh, of course, you know, I was happy to oblige. And so, you know, I've learned to do that over the years. You don't need to do that anymore. Now you can make, you don't, because it used to be in Windows, you'd have to have two flash drives to be able to pull it off to install it. That's not true anymore. You can do it with one flash drive and install it kind of like you do almost any other, more or less like you do any other operating system. You have to use Etcher and whatever. But anyway, um, that's not so necessary anymore, but it's just a habit I got into. And I still think it's a great habit to, uh, to, to have. And, you know, speaking of great habits, actually speaking of things, go, speaking of live. Okay. <laughs> uh, Cause again, version 4.6 is live. If you're already running version 4.5 or whatever, I mean, you can just, you know, you boot into it and it automatically upgrades. It's, it's really slick. Um, but speaking of live, you know, I was just thinking about this the other day. This is, this isn't a story at all. We're going to get into a story that has to do with operating systems here during the foreplay where we talk about all the little things going on, but I was just thinking about this. And now I, I, I wrote it down in my show notes and now I don't even remember what really brought it up. I can only remember the feeling I had after whatever the impetus was. Who? Oh, I I know what it was. I know what it was. There there was some uh, some <laughs> legal uh, <laughs> there's some legal bullshit uh, that I was handling, and I had to uh, basically I had to use OneDrive uh, for for part of this. And I, it, it's funny because the URL for OneDrive, right, for Microsoft's OneDrive, is still OneDrive.Live.com. Uh, and of course, remember OneDrive used to be, wasn't it SkyDrive originally? And then whatever they got, Microsoft got sued for that or something, you know, some bullshit copyright nonsense. Um, but live.com. And I was just thinking about it for a second because live, you know, live.com and all of the live, uh, what, what, what did they have? All the different things, messenger live, I mean, or live messenger. They had all these, you know, Microsoft is really going all in, in the, uh, later aughts on this whole live.com thing and all the features that came along there too. Um, in fact, you can get, what is it? The windows live pack, uh, which turned into, eventually they started calling it windows essentials. The last version came out in 2012. I still keep the, the offline XE for that around because it's the only way you can install windows movie maker, uh, which is a brilliant if you use windows. And of course you shouldn't. And a lot of people aren't, we're going to talk about that, but, uh, it's, it's still just a brilliant, very simple cut and dry way of making very basic videos. In fact, videos that I made for user podcasts, believe it or not, I used window, the age old windows movie maker, uh, to put those together. And I think they turned out fairly well. Um, anyway, you can see for yourself, just go to my, uh, go to my YouTube channel to, to check those out. But anyway, uh, I was just thinking about the name live.com who who the fuck thought that was a good idea? Like, it's no wonder they, they kind of branded away from that. I mean, they're still holding on to it. Was, was it actually supposed to be live.com? I, I don't think so. Cause I've never heard anybody say live messenger, you know, and that, that sounds even worse, but, <laughs> but who thought live.com was a good idea? I mean, does that, does that name make any sense online? You know? Yeah, this is, you're going live. I mean, did, did you know, that's just, that's, that's so Steve Ballmer, Microsoft stupidity, <laughs> you know, as far as branding goes, it, it really is. It, it doesn't even, it, it doesn't make sense. And then, 
like I get, we talked about this recently. And, and in fact, I just started getting the notifications on some of my, uh, some of my devices where now it's, is basically official. Again, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, that office 365 is, is now morphed into Microsoft 365. And of course we talked about what all of that most likely and really does mean, um, that, that it's, you know, obviously about much more than office, but anyway, you can go listen back to episodes about that to, to find that out. Um, I think that the title Microsoft 365 is even there, but or is the title of the episode. But anyway, um, I mean, you know, they rebrand and I understand that. And, and I get where going from calling it office 365 to Microsoft 365 makes some sense, especially based on what we predict, uh, that that's really about, but I just live.com. I was just thinking about it. I mean, it's a stupid thing, but I, but that's just it. It's just a stupid thing. I was thinking who, who, who thought that was a great idea. This is what happens when you have you know, the tucked in shirts coming up with decisions, right? <laughs> anyway, crazy shit. Uh, but let's move on from that. Um, speaking of, you know, maybe needing to rebrand or running into branding issues, uh, Windows 10. In fact, this is a story got shared. Um, this is from Fossbytes, great website. Uh, this got shared actually by a Sovereign Tech listener in the Sovereign Tech Telegram group. If you want to join that, of course, link is in the show notes for every episode. Uh, you can't miss it. There, it, it's all it's like plastered in three or four places of where to join that. All you had, all you have to do is have Telegram installed, click on the link. And boom, it just takes you right to it. And you just say join and away you go. Uh, it's not something that's only for patrons because guess what? There are no more. I mean, there are patrons. There are still people who support the show. And I'm honored by that for your financial support. Um, means everything to me. I mean, it really does and keeps the show going round and round. But there is no such thing as content behind a paywall anymore. In fact, I could get into a huge screed about that uh, because I am I am amazed at how many people, people who are still financially supporting this show who have, have just applauded the move and have basically written me saying, you know, or even called me and, and, and said, every podcast should do this. And in fact, I don't even want to listen to podcasts anymore that are putting their stuff behind a paywall. And I had a couple of people say, yeah, the only thing I listened to, uh, what, Oh, what did they list off? They listed off like three podcasts. I think they said they listened to me, Steve Gibson and Ben Greenfield. They said, that's it. That, you know, anybody, anybody popping stuff behind a paywall, they're, they're just, they're not even interested anymore. They, they thought their public work should stand for itself. And I, I appreciated what they said. I was really honored by their words, but anyway, we don't have to get down that sidetrack, at least not right now. Of course, if you ever want me to now in the full two hour version, once again, of sovereign tech, um, we have the Q and a segment within sovereign tech, and you can ask me a question. And if you want to ask me about that, I can talk more about that, but moving on, um, here we go from Fossbytes. I'm actually going to read a little bit of it. Uh, even though in the foreplay, we usually don't read the stories directly, but in this case, I'm going to, because it points at what we talked out, talked about a lot during 2019. And we've also talked quite a bit about during 2020 is that it is time and I'm not the only podcast that has said this. In fact, when we just mentioned security now has also gone uh, or parts of security now have gone on record, basically saying that, yeah, windows 10 doesn't belong in the home anymore. You know, like nobody should be using this. Everybody should be jumping over to Linux. Well, according to Fossbytes, here we go. This is from May 4th. So very fresh uh, May 4th, actually just today, May 4th, 2020 windows 10 users are switching to Mac OS and Linux. Woo. Now I have real quick. I mean, the headline says it all, but we'll look at some of the stats here. Um, I mean, I've even gone so far as to say, you know, go ahead and use Chromebooks. 
Like just get away from windows 10 because it's such, there's such a lack of security and there's so many problems, user facing problems with windows 10 right now that it's basically making the entire interconnected online infrastructure, you know, that being the internet and so on. Uh, it's making all of us less secure. The more people using windows 10, like it's be, it's becoming that kind of problem. Um, I mean, and and again, what happens, you know, with your, your data getting deleted (laughs) merely because of bugs within windows and so on. I mean, those are bad enough. You don't have to think about other people as, as for a reason to stop using windows 10. There are plenty of reasons for you and you alone to want to get off of it. Okay. Uh, but this is great news. Let's read a little bit here. As per the latest data uh, released by net market share, windows 10 has lost some of its loyal users to Mac OS and Linux distros continuing the legacy. Uh, Microsoft windows 10 OS monopolized the market since it's launched back in 2015. Recently, it reached the 1 billion active devices milestone dream that got delayed by over two years, but it seems that the sweet success for windows in the OS market now comes with a pinch of sourness. Speaking of the numbers, the desktop market share for windows OS, Uh, has dropped by 2% between March, 2020 and April, 2020. Now, when you consider the amount of installs that windows has, and they're not just talking about windows 10, they're talking about windows, windows OS in general, which probably points at part of what's going on here. When you consider the amount of installs, 2% is a number likely in the millions. That is, that's nothing to sneeze at. (laughs) Okay. That's a lot of people getting off of a platform right? Getting off of, uh, off of an operating system here. Uh, read on a little bit. Uh, that void has been filled by Apple's and they have some numbers here. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can look at it yourself. Uh, that void has been filled by Apple's Mac OS, which saw a 0.8% boost in market share during the same period. However, what's surprising is that the desktop market share of Linux distros has increased by 1.5%, which is almost double than that of Mac OS. Furthermore, if we compare the data from April, uh, 2019 and April, 2020, there is a decrease of 1.3% in the last 12 months. That means some windows users went to want to look elsewhere. Still Microsoft beloved, uh, Microsoft's beloved operating system finds a home in over 88% of all desktops and laptops. Meanwhile, speaking of windows 10, it's individual market share has dropped from 57.34% in March to 56.03 in April, 2020. Now I want to talk about that last paragraph. Cause in that last paragraph, um, I think it's, it's pretty clear what's happening there. I mean, they're, they have a little bit of a write-up of why windows is losing popularity. And I'll read that, but I think what's pretty clear what's happening there is the amount of stories from the cumulative updates and where they are, I mean, to the point of almost bricking laptops and desktops. uh, I mean, people are just tired of it. And certainly even my messaging, and I've heard it on other podcasts as well of telling people get windows 10 off of your fucking machines at home. You know, uh, I, I mean, it's a groundswell that's happening right now in, and I've been in the tech space for, well, and I can say it for decades. Okay. Um, but again, it's a, it's a groundswell that I just, I haven't, I haven't seen, I I don't think I've ever seen it this bad. You know, uh, I mean, certainly Bill Gates is taking shit now for all, for completely different reasons than windows dominance, right. Or Microsoft's dominance or internet explorers dominance at the time. Of course we're talking in the nineties. Um, but (laughs) yeah, I just, I, I've really, it, it's gotten, it's a fever pitch right now. And I couldn't be happier. And of course the story from Fossbytes is really just doubling down on the matter. Um, let me read their subheader of why is windows losing its popularity? Here we go. When it comes to market share numbers, up and downs uh, in graphs are a common thing. However, if you want to list down the reasons 
reasons behind this considerable drop, then there could be a few. Firstly, the Windows 7 OS reached its end of life in January this year. That means the users who can't get security updates anymore might be looking for some good Windows 7 alternatives. Possibly they found Linux and Mac OS as better choices over Windows 10. Another reason could be buggy software updates, which of course we brought up. Um, it has long, long been long since Windows 10 users have installed an update without running into some nasty error or sacrificing their system to blue screens of death. Uh, while Microsoft is putting sincere efforts in testing Windows 10 2004, it and that's you know, I guess the latest version that'll be coming out, it remains to, or the, the next big, you know, what do they do biannually where they do the, the, the major revision. Um, that's the next one. It remains to be seen whether it could prevent more people from abandoning the ship in the coming months. Other than that, it could simply be the case that users want to try something new. Apple's Mac OS is quite feature rich and there are some pretty amazing Linux distros out there now. Um, yeah. So the windows seven, I think that they're onto something with windows seven, the security patches, which you have to pay for now, uh, you know, those basically coming to an end and, but it's more than that because where I think the large percentage of market share loss for windows is coming from, it is coming from windows seven coming to an end, maybe not exactly as much because of problems with windows 10. And we already know that, uh, governments, I mean, fuck them, but governments are switching out of Microsoft's ecosystem and mass with the end of life of windows seven, uh, you know, nigh and, uh, well, like South Korea, I think was one of them. Uh, there's a bunch of countries that are basically switching over to Linux and that that's what's happening as far as Mac OS share going up. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what's behind that. The only reason I ever think Mac OS share really goes up because it's funny because we were just talking a few years ago that windows 10 is stealing creatives from Mac OS. Okay. So creatives are generally are generally seemingly pissed off at the lack of attention, albeit feature rich. Yes. But the lack of attention that Mac OS is getting right. Um, it'd be one thing I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued that, in these stats going over to iOS was not counted because with, with iPad, you know, basically becoming a computer, you know, and even more so in the past few months, you know, that, that needs to be taken under consideration as to what's going on here. Um, but Mac OS going up, I really think that always comes down to people buying iPhones and maybe buying an accompanying device, you know, that does just a little bit more. Um, I just, I can't imagine a whole lot of people necessarily switching over to Mac OS. I mean, I'll say this. I'd rather people use Mac OS than windows 10. I can't really believe I'm saying that, but I'll, but I'll say it, uh, you know, just because again, windows 10 has just gotten, it's gotten so fucking bad. Uh, Microsoft's going to spend years cleaning up this mess. Uh, if they, if they even can, um, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe they're just going to get out of the operating system game. And, and like we've predicted on this show, uh, that eventually they may decide to completely open source windows and just, you know, make their money on the operating system side, make their money off of enterprise licenses, similar to a way that canonical does, uh, with, uh, you know, with offering tech support, uh, for Ubuntu. And that's another thing too, is that these numbers I think would have included people. Well, maybe, yeah, I, I think this would include people getting ready for 2004 of Ubuntu, which is a huge deal. And of course I have been, you know, pushing for people to get ready for and to start using it because again, it's an operating system that's going to have 10 years of, uh, of patches and updates, 
you know, which is more so than most LTS versions of Ubuntu. That's really important. So anyway, I see this as frankly, great news. <laughs> yes. Get off of uh, windows 10 or get, you know, get off of windows. If you're still on windows seven, you know, it's time to leave that behind. <laughs> There's a great opportunity with Ubuntu. 2004. I mean, cause that's the argument that a lot of people come up with, right? Is that, well, but you know, Linux distros change so fast, uh, you know, with, with new versions and when they come out every six months and so on. All right, well, don't worry about that. Just leave Ubuntu 2004 LTS. Just leave it running as is and just get the patches and security updates, you know, and don't upgrade to any future version of it. And you're going to go for 10 years. I mean, it's, it's such a tremendous and it's free for fuck's sake. It's, it's such a tremendous deal. In fact, I just installed it. I, I mentioned earlier that I have a, a specific machine that I use for tails. Um, I mean, this is a super, super low end machine it has, you know, an EMMC drive. I mean, it's basically nothing to it. I installed 2004 on it runs like a fucking dream. Now this computer came with windows 10 on it. And I mean, slow is molasses, you know, it has that, that, that really cheap four. I mean, it says it has four gig of Ram, but it's the really cheap stuff. Um, it's a little Asus computer, which I think I talked about in a recent Q and a, the L203, because somebody actually asked me, okay, so if I wanted a dedicated tails machine, what should I get? And this is basically what I recommend it. Um, because you know, they, you can get them for sub $200 or whatever, but I mean, you can put a bunch of 2004 on that. No problem. You don't run into the storage space issues so much when you have windows 10 installed. And, and I mean, it is, I mean, like lightning. In comparison, I mean, it's a, just a great little Linux machine for under 200 bucks. Uh, yeah, again, it's the, the L203. Make sure you get the latest, uh, the latest one from, from Asus if you wanted to, uh, wanted to do that, but it's time to get off bottom line time to get off. Anyway, I think that's enough for the foreplay right now. We'll be right back with some more, uh, sovereign tech. We'll get to our main story and we'll be back with more. ended a great war and united a hundred alien races in peace. Danger didn't die. It just went underground with new heroes and new evils to carry the torch. We need to make sure they all understand we will not be intimidated. What is wrong with you people? We have to protect him against himself. It's an entire new season of Babylon 5 with all new episodes. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history. Babylon 5. The main story. It is time for the main story and wow. Um, when I said we had a lot to get into this week, this is one of those things where the culmination so much that we talk about on this show that we've talked about on this show for almost a decade now, uh, <laughs> it all like just comes right here and it plays off of, well, of, like I said, what was considered controversial based on some emails that I got, uh, of last week's topic around Twitter, people thought, Oh, you know, you're just, uh, well, I heard all kinds of things. One of the things I heard was, oh, Stallion, you're just old, <laughs> which I'm not that old. <laughs> Stallion, you're just old. 
you don't understand what the kids are into today, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but th- that's the problem. It's not just fucking kids, right? <laughs> it's, it'd be one thing if, oh, this is what the kids do today. But no, unfortunately, we live in a culture that uh, is, oh, sorry, that's another subject entirely. But a culture, I'll just say it quick, uh, that has an obsession with perpetual youth. And I don't mean youth as in being vigorous. I mean youth as in 50-year-olds watching High School Musical the series. What the fuck? (laughs) But okay, (laughs) whatever. Uh, Speaking of High School uh, Musical the series, that actually plays well into what we've got to talk about, and that is none other than Disney+. Plus. Now, this is not going to be me engaging in some 10 to 15-minute long screed about the poor shape of the entertainment industry or the, should I say, when I say poor shape, I mean, sure. Are they losing money? Yeah. But the, the lack of creativity, um, in, in the entertainment space, that's not what I'm going to talk about here. This is not, it's not, I mean, it might come up, but it's not really relative to the problem, uh, that I have. But this is about Disney Plus. And actually, as we said in last week's episode, um, there are times where a tweet is really a news story. And this is another such case from Disney Plus. Now, this is coming. This was this was made on April 27th, 2020. Okay. And but it is relevant to it is something setting up for May 4th. Now, May the 4th is okay. So longtime listeners know that uh, I have historically And I say historically, (laughs) I have historically been a huge fan uh, of Star Wars. I mean, I used to when a new and and this is when Disney took over, even in 2013, when a new Star Wars movie would come out. I would dedicate, you know, I'd see it opening night, opening hour. I mean, you know, as soon as I could possibly see it, I was going to see it and I'd buy tickets months in advance all over it. Right. Um. And I would do a review that week on Sovereign Tech. I would take half of an episode. And this is when Sovereign Tech was also running at two hours a show. So an entire hour of an of a Sovereign Tech Prime episode, which was, speaking of Prime, very prime real estate, especially when it came to advertisers and so on. Uh, I mean, but that's how serious I took Star Wars. Is it was a fucking event. It mattered. It was the stuff. You know, now Star Wars isn't my favorite franchise by any means. That, of course, that that honor belongs to Babylon five and, you know, Star Trek's right underneath there. Star Wars is certainly third rung. Of course, now (laughs) it's fallen significantly from there. Uh, even though clone wars hmm. anyway, uh, yeah, big fan. Okay. And I, I mean, hell, I even do the show with, uh, you know, with my man, Rob, we do uh, tie fighter renegades, which I mean, we've opened that up a bit lately, but that was, traditionally a star Wars news show. I mean, that's how much I love star Wars. So don't confuse me. Don't think I, you know, somehow I hate star Wars or blah, 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 or whatever here. Um, I mean, I, I've used Disney plus as well, just to, you know, make that clear. And I did a review actually of Disney plus when it first came out, um, on this show, but anyway, so may the 4th is, and then that that's like a whole hashtag, right? And that's kind of what we're going to talk about here. May, May 4th is a holiday. I think Hallmark really created it. I don't think it was actually like a fan made holiday. I think, I think the clever marketers and they are damned good at Hallmark. Um, I think that they came up with it. I could be wrong about that, but anyway, it's been a thing for decades that may, you know, it's supposed to be like, may the force be with you, but instead it's may the fourth, 
right? And then there's Revenge of the Fifth and whatever. They have other ones who gives a rat's ass. But <laughs> anyway, it's a thing. It, it, it's, it's widely considered Star Wars Day. And businesses jump on it, right? Like, I mean, app stores will have Star Wars sales. Uh, game, you know, game uh, uh, platforms, gaming platforms will have uh, sales for Star Wars games. Star Wars movies will be on sale, blah, blah, blah. All this shit, okay? And Disney has certainly taken to taking advantage of this, uh, this holiday. And frankly, this hashtag, which I mean, in the years past, I have made, uh, uh, you know, celebratory star Wars, uh, posts on varying social media with this hashtag. So I get it anyway. Let me read the tweet from April 27th, 2020 that Disney plus the, the official Disney plus, uh, account made. Okay. Actually we have to read like three of them, but let's start with the first one. This is what started it all quote, celebrate the saga. Of course, they're talking about the Skywalker saga, right? All nine movies. Yeah. Anyway, celebrate the saga reply with your favorite hashtag star Wars memory. And you may see it somewhere special on hashtag may the fourth period. Now that's, that's the tweet. Okay. Now, as far as what this, what this was for, I don't know because, uh, like May 4th has come and gone and I, like, I'm not seeing anything. Maybe it's something that only appeared on Disney plus. I'm not sure. Uh, next few days we might find out what it was. Maybe again, maybe it had to be on Disney plus. I don't know, but I, you know, I have canceled, uh, all of my streaming services. So, you know, <laughs> uh, I couldn't tell you anymore, but anyway, um, now, so there's that tweet. And so people were to respond to that with, I don't know, your Star Wars memory or something. Now that in and of itself, nothing wrong with that. Sure. You know, they're probably going to do like some kind of special thing. I mean, I could imagine like a little 60 second video they would make with these responses. Uh, maybe they would end up putting it on, um, you know, the, I don't know. They put it on their YouTube channel or again on Disney plus or on Twitter. Who knows? Uh, that, I mean, that's fine. I don't really have any problem with that, but then here's where things get bad in this thread of this tweet. It said Disney plus responded with by sharing your message with us using hashtag may the fourth. So if you use the hashtag may the fourth, okay, you agree to our use of the message and your account name in all media and our terms of use here. And then it goes to Disney terms of use.com, which that's amazing that they have an entire .com for that, but okay. <laughs> so, uh, and, and then, then people flipped, you know, so basically what Disney plus was doing is they were creating with a tweet. Okay. They were trying to create a legal, legally binding contract that if you used by, again, by share, here, I'll read it for you. By sharing your message with us using hashtag May the 4th, you agree to our use of the message and your account name and all media in our terms of use here. And with Disney's terms of use.com, basically when you go through the terms of use, uh, I mean, the bottom line is, and I look, I get what Disney was doing here. They were saying that if we use your tweet and somehow it's on something that we make money off of, which probably leads to the idea that it was going to be something on Disney plus because you have to pay for that subscription, right? If you use that, 
Okay. Or you can't, you will not be able to, according to Disney's terms of use, basically you won't be able to sue Disney for monetary compensation, or you won't be able to request from Disney monetary compensation. Now companies do this sort of thing all the time. For example, um, like oh, and this was controversial. In fact, I think this was over a decade ago. This was controversial at the time when Google docs, Oh, the Instagram case is even better. But anyway, Google docs in their terms of service, they updated it so that if basically, if there is ever a leak of your data or it's not even a leak, but if, if what you type into Google docs somehow gets used by somebody else, Okay. For example, say you wrote a movie script. Okay. In Google docs, you shouldn't, but if you did say you wrote a movie script in Google docs, and then you went and saw a movie, of course you can't do that right now, COVID-19, but if you went and saw a movie in theaters and you said, holy shit, they just, they stole my, I think they stole my script. You have no legal recourse against Google. Okay. And probably it wouldn't be against the studio either. Because again, according to the terms of use, I mean, you, you know, whatever you type into Google docs, uh, you, not necessarily that Google owns it, but you can't take any legal actions against it. Okay. Now I'm an anarchist. I don't care about taking legal actions anyway. Um, I'll admit when I read this shit from Disney plus, I was like, oh, I hope everybody just starts suing them. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Even though I never argue for going to court for anything, but this, this is just so outrageous. Anyway, we'll keep, let's keep talking about it. The Instagram case was something too, where in Instagram's terms of service, uh, basically they said, Hey, we can use your photos in, you know, for whatever we want and you can't get monetary compensation because they're going to use your photos that you put on Instagram in ads. And it was a massive scandal. And this is akin to that. Now that's one thing that you are getting an entire service Right. And the service is basically saying, Hey, what you store on our servers, you know, that's ours. You can kind of get away with some kind of legal mumbo jumbo argument where that could make sense to people who believe in legal frameworks. Right. This, however, again, like I said, I get what they're doing. They don't want, you know, if they use your, your star Wars memory, whatever the fuck that is. Okay. Um, if, if you use, if they use that in their advertising or whatever, you can't get monetary compensation. Of course. I mean, like it's, it's not, I get where Disney's head was probably at with this. All right. Or what their intention was. But as the old saying goes, the road to hell is paved in what? Yes, exactly. Intent in good intentions. <laughs> but anyway, Disney made a, tried to make a legally binding contract around the use of a hashtag. Now they clarified underneath that because again, the floodgates fucking opened up and people said, what, what are you talking about? Like, like, what do you mean that because I use hashtag may the fourth, which has been a part of star Wars long before Disney owned it. Okay. That somehow you own my tweet and like it falls under your terms of service and not even under Twitter's terms of service. Well, they clarified a little bit and they said, because initially I think people were thinking, wait, if I use hashtag May the 4th anywhere that Disney basically owns it and has the right to, to use it. Well, again, they clarified, uh, let me read the other tweet here. The above legal language applies only to replies to this tweet using hashtag May the 4th and mentioning at Disney plus these replies may appear in something special on May the 4th exclamation point. 
So, <laughs> okay. So now for their clarification, okay, this legal language only applies to if you, A, use hashtag May the 4th, um, you're responding to this specific tweet and you are mentioning specifically at Disney plus like that has to be in there as well. Now, okay. I get it. That makes things sound a little more palatable, right? But this is still fucking ridiculous. Now, earlier when I said that Twitter's being hypocritical, I mean, I, I feel like, and, and I say it's relevant to what we talked about last week, because as I brought up and as I've brought up many times over the, since 2016, frankly, uh, and even before the fact that, uh, uh, the slap nuts in chief president Trump basically writes out foreign policy in 240 characters, a shot or in a thread on Twitter, um, threatening violence against multiple countries, literally against millions of people around the world, uh, totally breaks Twitter's terms of service. And I've, I've got to believe that, and I haven't looked into, and, and I've, I've looked into some legal or, you know, people who do like legal podcasts, um, you know, and, and, and commentators and everything on this. And basically they said, you know, if Disney actually tried to, you know, take this to court somehow, you know, go to court over about this, uh, you know, the, the, the judge would laugh them out of the courtroom, you know, to say that they somehow they could make a tweet that is a legally binding contract. But I got to believe that if somebody else, you know, if you or I try to make this kind of claim that, Hey, anybody responding to this using my hashtag or blah, 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 you know, uh, you follow, you suddenly come under my terms of use. Uh, you come under my contract and I will take you to court if I use, I mean, because you know, there's scenarios that I can imagine where, I don't know, music gets shared or something like that. And then it becomes an issue too, of like being ex post facto, right? Like Disney. So the initial tweet that Disney made was at 10 AM. They were already getting replies, uh, before they clarified uh, you know, what, what, what exactly what this meant that by sharing your message with us, you know, may, on with hashtag may the fourth, that that'd be a thing. I mean, so like, does, so does this claim by Disney, does this hold true only to tweets that came after they clarified their language and said, this falls under Disney's term of use or what? I mean, there's all kinds of problems here, but bottom line being is that I guarantee you Twitter would probably ban the account that would try to make this sort of claim, but Oh, it's Disney and they can get, they can get away with whatever. And look, this tweet is still, the link is in the show notes. The tweet's still there. And people tweeted at Twitter and Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter saying, uh, Hey, in fact, here it is. Uh, Hey, Twitter and at Jack uh, Dorsey, at what point do you step in and specifically say that hashtags don't belong to anyone? You know, I mean, like th this is, here's the problem. This is the point in civilization, you understand that we have gotten to where corporations, mega corporations, if you want to go that far, somehow fucking think that, I mean, trademarks have been a thing, you know, forever. I mean, I mean, you know, or not forever, but for a very long time, they're horseshit too, but they've been around for, for a very long time. Um, I mean, you got to understand like Twitter to, to get the history of this, Twitter didn't invent the hashtag Twitter users 
invented the hashtag. It became an easier way for you to search for things. It became a marketing tool later, but initially, because initially Twitter was, you know, just basically the people who heard about it at South by Southwest. And that was when South by was more of a tech centric show. Of course, now it's just, well, it didn't even happen this year, but now it's just everything. Uh, the entertainment industry is there and whatever. And I mean, you know, people have known for a long time that, that, Everybody goes to South by Southwest because they're hoping there'd be another success story like Twitter, which came out of South by Southwest or which was announced there. Um, so hashtags was a technical solution to search. It was not even marketing in the first place. Okay. So, you know, the idea of the one person who, who made, who said, Hey, you know, Jack Dorsey, when do you say, Hey, hashtags don't belong to anyone yet? Yeah, because it, it, it's not like Twitter doesn't have a, uh, you know, why can Google plus implemented hashtags, Facebook has implemented hashtags, Instagram implemented hashtags. Why are all these different platforms that com that are competitors to Facebook or were okay. Or I mean, to, to Twitter, I should say, uh, why are they all able to implement hashtags? Why? Because it's not something that falls under any kind of actual copyright. Okay. It's not something that falls under any kind of IP law, the concept of the hashtag, because it's a technical solution. That'd be like, I mean, to some degree, people do copyright code. Yes, I understand that. But this is ridiculous. I don't care what Disney's intentions were. The bottom line is they think that they can say X, Y, Z in a tweet. And somehow that becomes law. That becomes legally bind a legally binding contract. And how far does this go? Yes, I agree. I mean, I agree with the legal commentators that this would get laughed out of court. Of course it would. But what's the fucking mindset with these companies thinking that they can even do this? That That's always the problem, right? Like, this is the same thing. This is the same argument that people give me with, uh, uh, you know, with politicians. Like, if you knew all of the, the dumb ass bills that, that, that get pushed, you know, into Congress in the U.S. alone, um, I mean, it's mind boggling, right? And, and you're going to read just like the dumbest things, you know, uh, that, that maybe have to do with, uh, I don't know, medical rights of some kind. I mean, just, just, just really asinine shit that's out there. And everybody says, it's like, yeah, okay, that's a stupid bill, but it's never going to get past the house or it's never going to, yeah, I, I hear you. And you're probably right that it's never going to get past the house. Or in this case, it's going to get laughed out of court, but that doesn't speak to the problem. The problem is there are morons who think this way. There are morons who think that somehow that stupid bill was a good idea because they bothered to write it. There are morons who think that they can actually control a hashtag and have a bunch of people have millions of potentially millions of people fall under their fucking legal binding contract just by using a goddamn hashtag. That is the problem. Is that people think that way. I mean, I could get into an entire street about the entertainment industry. You know I mean? The, the, you know, who made Star Wars a like fiscally viable thing? Who made Star Trek a fiscally viable thing? Was it CBS? Was it Disney? Was it whoever owns whatever, you know, HBO and Game of Thrones? I mean, like, no, fuck nut. <laughs> It's the fans that love this shit, right? Now, I mean, if you've got the original creator there who came up with the idea in the first place, that turns into a different conversation. But look, mega corporations don't own this shit. They can try all they want, but they don't. 
this is the problem with contract. I mean, Disney should be not just laughed out of court. They should be laughed out of existence for trying to control you and own your speech just by putting out a tweet that says, aha, yes, if you use hashtag May the 4th or if you respond to us, positive or negative, we own your words. I haven't seen that kind of royal hubris in a long time to think that that's like the queen of England thinking she owns all the swans on the planet. No, she really does. I'm not, that that's not a joke. That's, that's law folks. I'm fortunately, you know, relieved that most of the people that responded to this tweet were basically insulting the fuck out of Disney, you know, saying who the hell do you think you are? And I'm glad that at least, you know, people realize that, uh, <laughs> that no, no, you you can't do that, Disney. I'm, I'm I'm sorry, you don't own my words like that. If I use that hashtag, but this is this is where it's, this is how the these these companies think that they're countries. They think that somehow they are. I mean, practically like a law enforcement agency. I mean, Disney's a unique case where, in fact, Rob and I talked about this on a recent Tie Fighter Renegades. Where I mean, in many ways, basically they're their own country. It's crazy, but this this is what it's come to, and. I mean, it's no surprise that you have the president of the United States thinking that he can basically lay out foreign policy on there too, and that that gets, you know, treated like policy. I mean, if that's the case, then I think we got to take this platform a lot more fucking seriously, uh, than, than people generally do, because it usually just gets treated like, like a joke. And I'm not saying that it's a good thing that we should be taking it more seriously. Uh, it, it shouldn't be, but this is where we're at. And it speaks to, I mean, because, you know, let's be clear here. There's again, because of the hypocrisy of this, because if you or I tried to try to do this and tried to go to court with it, I mean, Twitter would get involved and I guarantee you they're not going to be on your side, right? This is more of that unholy alliance going on and the hypocrisy of Twitter um, that the company needs to be held accountable for Really, not not the users necessarily. The company needs to be held accountable for what the fuck these you know users are doing. And until they take down Disney or the president or others, you know, from having their accounts, from engaging in, I mean, because look, you know, any law is effectively a threat of violence, right? We know this because every law ultimately comes down to what you go to jail. If you refuse to go to jail, what happens? You get shot. Disney threatened violence on every Star Wars fan on the planet. You understand that? And Twitter asked to respond to that and Twitter did nothing. Now, what's the solution here? I'm not saying stop using Twitter. I sure as fuck am saying stop giving Disney any goddamn money. You know, stop stop giving Disney fucking anything. It, don't give them, you know, any real attention. Uh, and if you're a Star Wars fan and you're still engaging in, you know, in, in wanting your Star Wars and all this stuff, look, I mean, this gets into funny territory, right? Because, again, mega corporations don't own this stuff, okay? And, hey, you want it, you know, what is it? They're re-releasing Racer on Switch on May 12th. And if you buy that, you're going to give Disney some money. Yeah, sure. But look, Racer existed before Disney was around. You existed before Disney, or you were a Star Wars fan before Disney uh, owned the franchise. I mean, it, it's for you to do and whatever. But to minimize 
giving this company, you know, mind share, attention share, money share, or, you know, monetary share, all of which really are one thing today because we always seem to have a screen in front of our fucking face with this horseshit. Yeah, I think that that's a fine and dandy idea. Don't give them the power, you know, and if you want to go on there and, and make fun of them, I mean, I guess certainly that's something to, to do as well. But and the other thing to do is to let people know, like, no, do you realize Disney thought that they could do this? I mean, and, and this is nothing new for Disney, Disney. And I mean, frankly, Disney never gives credit to anybody, right? Like they never give credit in their animated films, which are considered, you know, classics. They never give credit to the original people that wrote the, the, the original concepts, say for Snow White or Robin Hood or go down the list of movies that, you know, that they make. So yeah, just, just anybody that engages in this call them out for it, you know, and, and just stop giving them again, your attention. And that, that comes in a lot of different shapes and sizes. So, all right. Anyway. And I know, I know that gets into a fuzzy area, right? Because like, if I, this is a bigger conversation and it's one that really I should have with Rob on TIE fighter renegades, because if I, you know, I love star Trek, I hate CBS and CBS has done horrendous, terrible things with my beloved franchise, with my beloved stories, with the creation of Gene Roddenberry. Okay. And I mean, horrendous. But so if I talk about Star Trek positively, even though I'm talking about stuff that existed before CBS owned it more or less. Okay. I mean that, that whole legal history is a whole other ball game. You know, am I supporting CBS? No, but then that's the thing is we kind of have to change how we think about a lot of these stories. These stories can belong to the creator, but they, and these franchises can belong to their creator in a way. I mean, there's, there shouldn't be any legal IP law against anyone, you know, going running with it. In fact, Gene Roddenberry was hugely supportive of fan fiction and spoke very kindly of it. And I don't think he would have cared if anybody made money off of it. That's, that's for the studios. They're, they're, they're the assholes, but anyway, you know, the creator can have some ownership around their idea because, you know, they're going to come out with, or, you know, maybe they have things, they have plans for it and so on. But like these mega corporations that just buy it out from George Lucas or Gene Roddenberry or however that goes, fuck them. They don't own shit. You know, when the creator is no longer involved, it belongs to the people that love it at that point, in my opinion. But then ownership and all these things are also huge. You know, those are very loaded terms that we would need to discuss. But anyway, I don't want to go down that road. I want to I want to shift gears a little bit here because I found something interesting because the, the Twitter conversation last week went into 5G. And so I'm going to squeeze this in here. Um, I, uh, in fact, I talked about this on a Q&A, which you can listen to all Q&As totally for free now. Um, and I, I talked about how uh, Muscle and Fitness Magazine, which has just been a staple uh, the magazine has been a staple in the fitness and bodybuilding world for decades. I've been reading it since I was a teenager. Well, it's no longer a magazine. Now they have basically switched to, all right, everything's online and blah, blah, blah. And we're not charging for it. Yada, yada, yada. And I had a subscription to muscle and fitness magazine, of course, cause I'm, you know, I'm into fitness very much. Um, and they told me, well, now you're going to get issues of men's journal, uh, to, to finish out your subscription. Well, obviously I don't want men's journal. I don't give a shit, but I got my first issue in and I was uh, reading through it. And there was an interesting little piece in there that I think, uh, may speak to some of what we talked about last week. 
And this is here, here it's titled and it's a, just a one pager, a Luddite's guide to 5g. Again, this is on one page. That's it. It's not even a full story. Well, well in the magazine, one page can be a whole story, but here we go. I, I want to read it to you. Okay. So you don't have to uh, touch the magazine when you go to the store um, or you don't have to, whatever you don't have to buy it, how it works. One. 5G runs on high-frequency waves with high data capacities with relatively short ranges. Two, as a result, 5G cell towers will run along city streets, connecting self-driving cars, security cameras, and traffic lights. Now, let's stop on number two. Of course, that part that points at, I think, another part of why 5G is getting so pushed, because we were discussing that last week. How it's so weird how this technology is being so pushed so hard. Like there, there really hasn't been a technology quite like it in, in some decades uh, that that was so hard pushed on everybody. Well, I think these self-driving cars, aha, see, because now 5G, uh, you know, is meant to be basically everywhere, right? It's not like just where there's a tower every so many miles, like with 4G, 5G is supposed to be able to bounce off of any device that has a 5G antenna, Okay. And, you know, for self-driving cars to work, oh, now we see part of where this is important, right? And where this becomes a security issue because self-driving cars will probably use 5G signals, which are bouncing off of everywhere and identified on every device This should scare you. But anyway, you know, identify every device is identified. And so the self-driving car will recognize and know where it's at and know when to turn and where to stop and blah, 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 and where things are. I mean, it'll be a huge boon, I admit, for the self-driving car industry, which I think should be not even be an industry, but that's another conversation for another time. Anyway, that's a start to speak to it. Let's go to number three, 5g small cells on streetlights will also help boost cell coverage. Again, these things are going to be everywhere. They're going to be in street lamps. Okay. Reading on. So at least they're honest about that part. Uh, so it's a jargon free primer on the next generation wireless network by Mia Mercado. Here we go. First, there was uh, 1G and it sucked. This first, <laughs> okay, compared to what? <laughs> uh, this first gen network was what uh, Gordon Gecko's blocky cell phone used in the 80s. Now, 5G's blistering, speed, uh, blistering speeds threaten to make our 4G current networks as archaic as Reagan era tech. Here's how it could change your life. Okay. Now, when we did our coverage of 5G, which had nothing to do with health concerns, had entirely to do with practicality of the technology and privacy concerns. That's all that we brought up. And that's all that I've brought up. I have not brought up health concerns around 5G. have not discussed health. I mean, I might've mentioned that people say something about it. I have not shared my opinions on health concerns with 5G. I have not shared whether I back any health concerns or, you know, backing uh, ideologically or well, you know what I mean? Whether or not I am supportive of anybody raising health concerns with 5G, blah, blah, blah. I have not done any of that on this show ever. You understand? I've mentioned it, but like, it's not something where, where I have, you know, come down with my own opinion on it. Now, if you don't want me to even mention that sort of thing, okay, fine. Then, you know, we just, we won't talk about it. We'll just, whatever, let the, anyway. Uh, but okay. So now, this, this, this claim here, 5G's blistering speeds threaten to make our 4G current networks as archaic as Reagan era tech. Um, Reagan era tech is not archaic, but okay. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, fuck Reagan, but 4G, 5G speeds 
are on a consumer on the consumer end on the, for the end user, there is no appreciable difference between 5g and 4g. Okay. This blistering speed argument is nonsense. And that was the main point. And I went by the numbers when we reviewed it on sovereign tech. Okay. I went by the numbers on the matter. There's no appreciable, appreciable difference for the consumer. This is a, this part's a lie. Okay. Blistering speeds. Yeah, sure. They're blistering speeds, but comparing them to 4g again, for the end user, there's no difference. Anyway, let's go to their next bit here. Uh, one transportation. If you, if you just felt something that was all of Silicon Valley fist bumping because self-driving or wait, let's see. Yeah. If you just felt something that was, that was all of Silicon Valley fist bumping because self-driving cars will be a reality with 5g. Unfortunately, wireless providers might need years to build the needed infrastructure for these vehicles. Stallion breaking in. I hope they take their time. Um, number two, public safety. 5G will play a huge role in disaster response and prevention, mm. mostly by seamlessly linking public safety communications such as ambulances, dam sensors, and traffic lights. Yeah, but when you add in contact tracing, I wonder about that. Anyway, uh, number three, home. Smart home networks will have the capacity to handle a constant large flow of data from tiny sensors in air filters, light bulbs, and HVAC units to help improve a dwelling's safety and energy saving capabilities and allow the perverts in government to know everything that you're doing. Oh wait, that's not in here. Sorry. If it's the Luddites guide, I think it should be, but well, anyway, they skipped that part. Number four work prepare to say goodbye to super laggy video conferencing and hello to 3d hologram meetings with your boss and colleagues. Thanks to 5g supported augmented reality. Now that part. Yeah. I imagine that's going to be a thing since you have, you know, the signal just bouncing around from fucking everywhere, um, that you would have the bandwidth again, the speed doesn't increase with 5g necessarily. The only increase in speed is more, it's like the difference between CPU and Ram, right? Where you're going to have more signal coming in, but not necessarily faster signal. Okay. But anyway, we'll, we'll keep going from there. Number five, entertainment these days, streaming succession without it. I don't know what the fuck that is without it's a show. Cause it's in italics, I guess without any glitches seems far, seems more far-fetched than autonomous cars. 5G should eliminate such server over overloads and take only five seconds to download super high def movies. That's like all of the transformers movies in less time than it takes to nuke a hot pocket. I mean, there's an easy solution to that. You know, you don't have to stream anything. Just buy a, if you're into super high def, buy a 4k disc. That, that's, that's a lot simpler, a lot cheaper. And for the, end user for the consumer, they can actually hold on to the movie for all time. And fuck if 4k was put on MDIS technology shit. I mean, it might cost you 20 bucks, but you have it for a thousand years. What a great idea that would be. Oh no, 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 no. We can't have that. We got to have people watching shit while they're on the go. Oh yeah. Don't, don't, don't have them pay attention while they're walking or while they're driving or, well, I mean, that's part of why it's self-driving cars are there, right? Because you got this huge windshield in front of you. That could be a screen showing you ads. And right now it's not. And God damn it. We have to change that. 
I love this. Anyway, <laughs> here's where it gets really interesting though. Fuck all that. Here's, I mean, that my criticisms are sound, but let's, let's go to the next bit here. Two controversies to keep an eye on. I'm holding it up right here. It's men's journal. It is the, 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 uh, uh may where, where does it say what issue it is? Well, whatever it's the may 2020 issue. So it probably means it's like the June or July. Yeah. May, June, 2020. That's what, that's what it says. Okay. This is the may, June, 2020 issue. Men's journal is saying this, not sovereign tech. Men's journal is saying this two controversies to keep an eye on one international espionage. Tech giant uh, Huawei is building a massive 5G network throughout much of the world. The U.S. government isn't exactly thrilled about this, uh, given Huawei's coziness with the Chinese government and the risk of companies and citizens being spied on with Huawei gear. What about the U.S. government's coziness with Silicon Valley and the U.S. government's plans to roll out 5G? So uh, here's what I want. The U.S. government, you tell me why you're concerned about Huawei having this massive 5G network. And then you tell me why I shouldn't be concerned about you having the very same thing, which you are also building. Explain it to me. Do I have to say Edward Snowden? Crickets. I don't think that here, here's the thing. This point for number one about spying on you, about lack of privacy, about security concerns, I think those are probably totally valid. I imagine what the, if, if a U.S. government representative was right here and explained it to me why they're concerned about Huawei having all this and they're, they're causing this to the Chinese government, I imagine I would completely agree with every statement that comes out of their mouth. And then I would completely turn it around on them and say, but what about you? Look who's in office. Look who's in command of the guns, right? Because like Barack Obama said, government is the monopoly use and force. Sovereign tech didn't have to say it. I didn't have to tell you that there are privacy concerns around this. Men's Journal is fucking telling you that there is. They just don't want to admit that every government's the bad guy, not just the Chinese government. Number two, let's go to number two of the controversies. Dangerous cell waves. This isn't some book called EMF. This isn't some crackpot like uh, like uh, Dr. Mercola or anything. This, this isn't Sovereign Tech. This is Men's Journal. Look through the rest of this magazine. You understand. Uh, believe me, when I was looking through it, you know, the next page is, is about a Corvette. This is the most banal, most... Uh, I mean, I, I just, I, I look through everything on here. Was this selling me jeans? I mean, those things should last forever. And, oh, they're selling me uh, rackets for, for a good tennis match. And I was, this is, this is so reinforcing of the status fucking quo. There's not a goddamn bit of controversy in this entire magazine. It is mindless, mindless consumerism and worse. And yet here they are with number two, dangerous cell waves. Let's read it. Concerns have emerged about possible health risks from 5G's extremely high-frequency waves known as MM waves. Though it seems unlikely, normal exposure levels pose a serious threat to humans. More research is needed. I'm not talking about Norsemen's Journal. 
no one's talking about, you know, like this, well, coronavirus is coming from 5G or what, blah, 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 or, you know, however they want to frame it, that no 5G is just weakening immune systems where coronavirus is more deadly or, you know, whatever the fuck they want to say about it, right? No one's, no one's going there. I have not made any kind of statement on the health, like I said, on the health concerns around 5G. But I got flack for that for even a whiff of me doing so. You want to, you want to go attack men's journal or are they owned by, are they owned by Ziff Davis? I'm not sure. Probably one of those, one of those big, uh, you know, magazine magnates, which I mean are dying anyway, but, or at least in this country, at least in the United States, but why don't you go after them? Why don't you, uh, uh, cancel your subscription to them? Go tell them to fuck off. I mean, I, I was, I'll admit it. When I read this, I was completely surprised. I was like, holy shit. They're admitting to these two issues. I mean, I'm, I, you know, sovereign tech's more concerned with number one, but then they also brought up number two. I, I'm in awe that that even that's part of the conversation for men's journal for something so basic, something so, you know, uh, 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 part of the system. And it really is. I mean, you read the rest of the articles in there, like I said, you're just going to hurl, you're going to puke from it, but they said more research is needed. Well, you know, how about we go ahead and, uh, well, we get some of that research done then, you know, I mean, I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm just going off of what men's journal said. This is not sovereign tech. I'm just saying that. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's do a little more research before you put it into my Samsung galaxy China twice and put it up my ass. Would that be all right? Or, you know, do you ban me from, uh, from Twitter and do you ban me from every other network while you don't ban Disney for, for pointing a gun at everybody that used a hashtag? Go ahead. Ban me. Ban Sovereign Tech. Ban people that ask these fucking kinds of questions. Fuck you. I'll be right back with more Sovereign Tech. Hey, if you have a project that needs reliable cryptocurrency data, check out blocktap.io. Blocktap.io is a universal cryptocurrency API. You can get historical prices for Bitcoin and other digital assets that you can use to build charts and do market analysis. Blockchain data is also indexed, so you can get transaction statistics, address balances, and more for Bitcoin and other networks. Blocktap.io is free for personal use, and you don't even need to create an account to access the API. To get started, try some of the example queries on the homepage at blocktap.io. Again, that's B-L-O-C-K. TAP.io, blocktap.io, and we thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Woo, let's get back to the show. Issues of privacy, security, and social engineering. It's HackSec. It is time for HackSec. And really, we got into HackSec in the, around the whole 5G conversation um, in the last segment. But, you know, this is going to kind of double up on this because we also have a great important message that I want to get into that really could be relevant to HackSec as well. But someone brought up in the Telegram group uh, a, great, a great point. Well, initially I found out and, and I'll keep people, I mean, you can join the telegram group and see for yourself, but I'll keep names anonymous here. I like to do that anyway, unless you specifically want me to mention you, uh, you know, and then I will, but otherwise I keep you anonymous, including when you ask questions. Um, 
anyway, a, a conversation came up around masks and a great listener had, and I'm, I'm going to read some of this like a transcript. And I asked like, do you, you know, do you guys mind if I use this in the show? And they said, yes, they said, no problem. Um, so because, you know, <laughs> I'm not some asshole like Disney who will say, Hey, if you, if you post it in here, this belongs to me and I'm going to put it on my show. God damn it. Blah, blah. No, I'm a fucking respectful human being. I know those are few and far between. And uh, this actually bolsters the point because uh, a great listener started off with this has kind of got the conversation going. He said, damn anti-maskers as in people who are against wearing masks during our present COVID-19 situation. Anti-maskers are out there acting like complete assholes. Ridiculing someone's decision to wear a mask is apparently what passes for activism these days. Um, I responded to this and said, it's like, you know, this is, I mean, I could read exactly what I said, but my basic point was, is that why are people, I mean, you know, because I know my show is popular in varying activist circles with a lot of different stripes, red, yellow, green, blue, you know, I, orange, even I'm sure there's a, there's some kind of mob version of anarchy or something out there, but <laughs> Okay. I know I run in a lot of different circles. So activists of many stripes. And, um, I basically said, he's like, you know, this is the one time in my opinion, because I, you know, something I have espoused for a while and that I talked about recently, uh, on an episode of sovereign tech in relevance to, you know, COVID-19. I said, this is a golden opportunity where culturally it's acceptable to wear a face covering. It's, practically government policy or at the very least government supported to do so. Okay. And it's advantageous. Don't even have to talk about health. Don't even have to talk about COVID-19. It's advantageous because it fucks with facial recognition software. Okay. Which certainly 5g is going to help with that. Right. Because then you don't even have to recognize the face. You can just recognize all the little 5g uh, repeaters or, you know, whatever, whatever they did, how, however they decide to set this up, but all the different 5g devices out there, you know, could, they can just track you with those. They, them, those, right. We know what we mean by that, but this is a, just a great opportunity to where we can reclaim some privacy where it has been, uh, uh, you know, taken away. And again, no need to get to even get into a health concern, even though I think, you know, that there are certainly, I mean, I even supported the notion of, look, even if it's not, you know, an N95 plus mask, wear a face covering anyway, because that at least sends the, you know, even a social signal, right. Of, Hey, you know, let's be careful right now because we don't want to contract this or that. And then I think that the, personally, I think that's fine. Okay. Again, not even getting into, you know, the reality of COVID-19 or health concerns. We don't even have to go anywhere near any of that to talk about this. Okay. Um, I think the person that this person was referencing had a very good reason to be wearing a mask, you know, because I mean, look folks, you know, immunocompromised people, that's a real deal. Uh, anyway. So I said that I was like, they're missing out on a golden opportunity to wear a mask. I mean, whether you believe COVID-19 is a conspiracy or whatever the fuck you think about it, it's a great opportunity for completely other reasons to wear, you know, it's a good idea to wear a mask when you're in a store or wherever else, right? Again, for privacy concerns alone. So, uh, then another brilliant listener, um, said, 
I was complete. I'm reading from him. I was completely pro mask before this having gone through a period of most people wearing masks. I'm finding it to be very socially isolating. I underestimated the impact of seeing people's faces and exchanging expressions with strangers. In general, I am still pro mask, but now feel that it risks losing some sense of essential human connection with strangers. Um, and then uh, I think he continued, perhaps this is something that just stands out of uh, lack of experience reading facial expressions through masks. But I think that dehumanizing aspects should, or that dehumanizing aspects should be investigated. Um, and then others, you know, other people responded, this is a great point. There are certainly trade-offs. Um, and there's some other, other things I'm going to read here from, from other listeners in this. But I think this is an interesting point getting raised. Now I have heard that, and I mean, percentages are always kind of BS, but you know, basically if it's over 50, it's, it's interesting over or under 50 is where it gets interesting. 90% of human communication is done without words. That's, that's a statistic I've heard. And I believe that. Okay. I've always, I, I mean, I've never, ever, ever liked, I don't even like video conferencing because I think you lose so much in that. So much comes with, I mean, it's not even the words, perhaps it's intonation, perhaps it's a gleam in the eye, perhaps it's uh, the, the motion of the mouth or, you know, are they smiling or blah, blah, blah. I mean, there are, yes, I, I think this person is absolutely right in that you are losing a lot of social cues when people wear a mask. Are there other cues that we can pick up on? Uh, if we got used to a world where everybody had half their face covered, yes, I, I imagine that, that there is, but this is an important thing to bring up. And there are, you know, this is part of where now when the, the second time, so the first time we talked about COVID-19 on sovereign tech, I basically gave, and it was based upon a question that was asked of me, how would you prepare for this sort of thing? You know, if this is a worst case scenario, pandemic, blah, 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 what do you do? And we broke that down. Second time we talked about it, you know, I got into, uh, what I think would, would actually perhaps, you know, what could be, or actually I think it was in a Q and a where I was responding to a question there as well, as far as, you know, well, what, what could, you know, what can be done about this, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the, the importance of getting accurate information and not just accurate information, but also local information. Okay. And, and a, an aspect that I think a lot of people ignore is the importance of, because on a national level, I mean, you can look at this from a tech angle. You can look at this on Google maps. This has been an open secret with Google maps for a very long time is that on a very local level, it doesn't do a great job and it never has. And they've been trying to enhance that for a long time. I mean, that's the whole reason they came up with ingress and Pokemon go was to improve uh, local tracking data. I mean, basically anybody playing those are, you know, only improving the surveillance state, but regardless at a local level, things become far more difficult unless again, you're actually there. Okay. And so local information is this thing that is not, and social media sucks at this. I mean, because social media, again, most people, how do they interact on social media? Well, they go after a hashtag, right? And you know, a small town probably isn't going to get its own hashtag uh, very easily unless it's the entire country for some reason talking about some small town, but a small town talking about itself is not going to pop up on Twitter is somehow relevant. Okay. So 
getting local information is an incredibly important thing. And especially in this time, because locally is in many ways where it counts for people. And so I said, you know, one of the worst things that could be done out of this or, you know, out, out of, out of the response, what has been the, you know, shall I say the mainstream response to COVID-19 is that it's, it's separating people. Now, I mean, I get it why it's like, you know, telling people to stay in their homes and so, you know, and do this, blah, 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 and maybe socially distance a little bit or whatever, you know, I like, I, I understand the idea of not spreading the disease and all that, but that doesn't mean we still don't, you know, want, because it, at one point for a couple of weeks there, it was like, people weren't even leaving their houses and they weren't even talking to people, right. Or they weren't talking to people in person. And I think that was in many ways, a barrier to getting local information, right? Like I, I compared it to, you know, this is the importance of, and again, folks, you know, I am not pro church in any way. Uh, but this is, this was the advantage of the church hundreds, you know, a couple hundred years ago was that it was a way for locally for you to get the information of what's going on and that we're kind of missing that. I don't want churches to be the arbiter of that sort of thing, but you get my point. Okay. In the abstract of, you know, what's going on there. And I say all this to get to the point of that. There was a time where, or there was a moment where the thought crossed my mind that this is, I mean, you know, you look at like a lot of science fiction movies and shows and everything and how everything's so sterile and people don't really touch each other and all this, I mean, human touch. So this is nothing new for sovereign tech. Um, I have said for years on the show that the world is suffering from largely two things. There's more, but two things that the world is really suffering from. One is nobody tells each other how they really feel. Two is touch, which is actually directly correlative to number one. Okay. There is a lack of touch in the world. And if you are looking for understanding and empathy in situations, now again, I get it. I understand why people weren't touching each other. I'm not, not speaking against that, but I am just saying that a lack of closeness of contact of reading people. And, and I have spoken out against social media saying, no, this is harmful for communication because it doesn't allow for the complete breadth of communication, right? Which again, 90% of it isn't even done through words that we are losing a lot. So I respect and appreciate the point that this listener is bringing up. Okay. That like, he's having a hard time, you know, reading, uh, you know, that there's a lot of social cues that are being missed. And in the workplace, like I could see where that, where that could be a very, you know, very real concern. I mean, in the home and in, shall we say more local gatherings and so on. Okay. You know, do we really need the mask when it's with such and so many people? I mean, we can get into a huge conversation around the Dunbar number with all of this, you know, and, and something we've talked about many times on this show, but I, I get where he's coming from that, that you do lose that when everybody wears a mask. Okay. Now eliminate surveillance society. And then, you know, my concerns around wearing a mask or my, you know, my positive arguments that exist outside of medical ones, uh, or at least outside of COVID-19, you know, they, they would basically fall away. Um, if, if those, if those elements, the, you know, surveillance society elements, um, weren't there, but they are. And I think that the, I guess what I, what I want to say to, to his point, I mean, I'll, I'll read some more here, but what I want to say to his point is I agree with him that we do lose something and it's important to have, to understand just how 
much goes into communication between one human being to another. It is not just words. We cannot do it with text. That is not that that's not new information on sovereign tech, right? We've said this, this is one of the reasons I've constantly railed against social media and even talking online in general is because there's so much communication that you completely fucking miss. And that leads to misunderstandings and misunderstandings often leads to, well, generally leads to some kind of problem, right? I suppose there have been fortuitous instances that have come out of misunderstandings, but by and large that leads to problems. So, yeah, I, I don't think you're wrong, you know, in that it does create that issue, but I would suggest, and cause I think this is important to bring up. I would suggest that in the present, you know, we have the COVID-19 situation, not even talking about that, the surveillance society situation that we live in. I would suggest that wearing a mask is, I think the, the trade, you know, there are trade-offs. I think the trade-offs go in favor of wearing the mask. And the listener even said he's still, you know, mostly pro mask. Um, I think the trade-offs go towards that wearing the mask is the, dare I say, the better part of valor than the not. That's not even getting into the whole medical thing. I mean, you know, a commonplace thing that people used to wear, uh, I mean, for not even centuries, frankly, for thousands of years. I mean, you can go back to, you know, the Greeks, ancient Romans, you know, uh, they would wear cloaks, right? This is incredibly commonplace and really has only fallen out, frankly, in the past century, only a hundred years that this isn't something that's more commonplace. Now cloaks by design, you know, and you can read, I mean, even you could, I've even read like uh, civil war journals, you know, or to, from that era, right. Because so many people were writing to writing down how they felt and everything. So we have a lot of those. It's not to venerate that time in any way. Um, but at that time they, you know, I mean, people were wearing them then and you can read where they say, yeah, it was, you know, basically to, to, to hide, you know, they just didn't even want to get recognized around town or they wanted to get left alone, etc. And that was basically accepted. And so I think what I'm, what I'm saying in that is that there was a time where you couldn't see people's faces and that had a certain, like, like that was a cue in and of itself. Right. But it was one that I think you, if, if rights were a thing that you'd have the right to, you know, to have. And I added, I don't think the listener would argue with me on that either. But the idea that people would basically hide their face, I mean, it was incredibly, incredibly commonplace, incredibly commonplace, Uh, you know, and, and it's really, there's only been any kind of change in the past hundred years. In fact, I really, like, I think, and I've felt this way for a while that the falling out of the cloak, you know, out of fashion, um, in fact, boy, I'm just instantly thinking of Jeffrey Tucker and him wanting all of his capes again, right? (laughs) Which, hey, fine. You know, I'm, I'm totally on board with that. People wearing capes, go for it. Uh, but, you know, that falling out of fashion, I, I often wonder if that wasn't, I mean, I, I, I'd build a conspiracy around that. You know, because, I mean, this idea of being able to recognize people through some kind of surveillance technology, I mean, that's been around for decades on its own. Uh, and probably not too far off from when, you know, again, cloaks were very much falling out of fashion, uh, or not even, I mean, yeah, it'd be, it'd still be surveillance, not necessarily a technology, uh, but to very much, you know, thwart, um, you know, riots and, or other kinds of, of activism, 
that that would you know that would go on uh especially in the early part of the 20th century yeah i i could imagine big businesses were like hey you know get rid of these cloaks get rid of these things that that cover people i mean people would still you know wear bandanas and things like this and you know go go down the fucking list but i mean i i could build a conspiracy frankly around that if i wanted to so Anyway, let me read a little bit more about the pro about the, you know, pro and anti mask. And we maybe we could talk about that a little bit more. Um, let's see. Here's another uh, listener. I am only pro mask. Uh, and when it is circumstantially appropriate to wear them, uh, like if I'm going into Costco or one of the stores in the large town around here where I know a lot of people are and have been, then I will wear a mask. But that is the only circumstance in my current life situation that I will wear a mask. Okay, fair enough. Uh, next one. Uh, it is the, and it is the, or this is from the same person. And it is the situational awareness that I think everybody needs to be encouraged to, uh, to engage. Uh, however, that's just not entertaining enough for the news media. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you got to make a big deal out of all this stuff. Right. Uh, let's see. I wear a mask at work. Now this is someone else um, with a mask. I can't smile at coworkers. It feels like the mask is a wall. Um, yeah, I, again, I totally get these, these ideas and it does feel like a wall and it does in some ways, I think speak against a real solution for getting through a time like this. And that is connecting right with people. And, you know, every technological means that we have is really piss poor and the mask can really, you know, get in the way of that. But then I think this is also a time very much to reflect on that fact and to take notice uh, of the importance of getting to connect with people and this sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, there's trade-offs here again. I personally, I side I'm on the side of, well, I'd rather covering your face being a norm that's accepted than not. Okay. As far as being forced to wear them at work and things like this, I mean, that that's a very different conversation to be had, but that's not really what's, what's being had here. It's the lack of signals that you get when conversing with another human being um, and how uncomfortable that that can be. Um, yeah. I, I, I think overall, my opinion, I totally agree with you. And I know that that happens. I mean, what Ellen and I, we were going shopping and it was a minor annoyance because like, you know, we're constantly touching and kissing each other, you know, and you know, we were there wearing a mask. And again, I, as I said, I wear it cause I, I love getting for it to be culturally accepted and uh, you know, to, to fuck with, with facial recognition technology. I think that's dynamite health concerns, totally aside, but you know, we can't really kiss each other, right? <laughs> with the masks on, or at the very least it looked like ninjas kissing or something, which actually that's kind of hot, but you get my point. So, uh, you know, it, it, it can create a division, a wall, against closeness. And that can be a, a real problem. And I think it's a fair point to bring up. Um, I think that the other point that's important is situational awareness. Yeah. Like what situation is it required and not, but I definitely want to see facial coverings becoming the norm or at the, it, in the, the current climate, the current world that we live in. And I don't mean COVID-19, I mean the surveillance society that we live in. So I thought it was a great point to bring up. It's something I wanted to converse about. Uh, that's just my opinion on it. I don't disagree with him. I, I totally get what he's saying. You know, I, I think it, this is a matter of where, okay, with the trade-offs, with the cost-benefit analysis, I think the benefits outweigh the cost. So there we go. Uh, or, you know, the, the potential negatives in this case. So, all right, anyway, we'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. A lot more to talk about. Woo!
we don't have to what? What do you mean you don't have to take your clothes off? What a bunch of Okay, okay, no, you don't have to take your clothes off to have a good time, but come on, we all want to, don't we? (laughs) I just, who who writes lyrics like that? I can't believe it. Uh, Anyway, let's get back to Sovereign Tech. Now entering the gaming grid. The latest gaming news, reviews, and retro culture, as only the man of tomorrow can deliver. And here is your host, Brian Sovereign. All right, let's have some fun, shall we? Um, Because that whole segment was basically like it was, you know, kind of listener email as well as a security issue, uh, you know, as pertains to to facial recognition technology. um, We'll run with that as being like part of our Q&A. So we're going to skip the Q&A segment on this episode. I think it was important to get that conversation out there. Um, So let's get into some game, uh, some gaming grid, some game talk here. And boy, what a week. Talk about just from a tech angle, not even from a game playing angle. Uh, the there was a leak, and I still haven't heard where you know. I don't know who's taken who's claimed this. You know who's taking credit uh, for the leak, but there was a massive leak of data about the Wii. In fact, full code, uh, full breakdown of the hardware. You know everything is, is out there now uh, as far as that goes, and not just for the Wii, but also for the N64, uh, the GameCube. I mean, this is source code. Every it, it all got leaked online. Remarkable. Just uh, it appeared on 4chan. Um, I don't think it's uninteresting that once that happened, suddenly <laughs> we and, and there's a link in the show notes talking about this. Uh, we have a fully functional port for the PC of Super Mario 64, which plays in 4K, ultra widescreen, the whole thing. It uses DirectX 12, which I think that was a little bit of a fail. So this more or less only works on Windows. But I I mean, I, and I, I installed it. I checked it out. You, you kind of have to look around a bit for the code because obviously Nintendo is going to shoot it down like a hammer uh, or hammers don't shoot. Unless you're a hammer brother. Ooh, how's that for a little Mario? <laughs> anyway, uh, it's out there to play and it's pretty stunning. And I got to admit, and I know I'm not the only one who said this. Um, the the port of Mario 64 at, and I wasn't playing it at 4K, but I have a very high resolution monitor. I mean, it's higher than 1080p. And I was playing it on there. It's amazing how good those graphics actually look and play. Even, even I mean, we're talking about a game from what, 1996? I, I was stunned at how, how you know, because the graphics, they didn't improve the graphics at all. Uh, and they still look, you know, very blocky and everything. But this is a point I've brought up on previous gaming grids where that more poly, the more polygons, it seems, uh, sharper edge polygons that a game has from the past, the better it actually looks uh, today. I think it still looks good. It's when 3D was trying to become more realistic that it seems to fall apart. But when you have the polygons, it still kind of holds up where when you see like, I mean, you know, there's a lot of polygons. Um, 
But when you see all the connecting points and everything, somehow it, it, it still has a, a great style to it. But anyway, it's going to be interesting to see what, what comes of this. Uh, I am hopeful that there's going to be some amazing FPGA boards and some great hardware emulation that will come out of the fact that the uh, uh, source code for the N64, the GameCube, and the Wii have all come out. Do I think Nintendo's behind it? Because actually somebody asked me that. Like, if did they leak it themselves? I, I don't think that's not their style. They, they don't, they don't do that sort of thing. Um, not this kind of leak. I, 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 I can't, I can't picture that, but do I think the emulation community is definitely going to take advantage of it? And Nintendo could, is probably going to lose some revenue out of the matter because we are expecting sooner or later for switch online to, ha- you know, emulate, uh, or have available N64 GameCube and Wii games. I mean, everybody, I think most people just feel like it was a matter of time. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, but definitely exciting times for everything that's going to come out from this, because now you have the source code. Now you can do just about anything, uh, as far as that goes. So interesting stuff. I put the link in the show notes for that. I do want to give a bit of a, oh, okay. Well, no, I had another story here too. Vader immortal. <laughs> the singular reason, in my opinion, to, to get because it was exclusive, the singular reason to get the quest, uh, um, the Oculus quest VR headset was Vader immortal. It has now been announced that it's going to be coming out for PlayStation VR. You know, (laughs) the Oculus quest gave it the old college try. And I was really excited about the platform in general, of course, not any longer ever since John Carmack left, uh, left the project. Uh, and I talked about that on an episode of Sovereign Tech. But like, if you're not, if you have no console exclusives, you just don't have a chance. You don't have a chance in hell of 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 getting anywhere. So the Oculus Quest, uh, in fact, a listener did a great review of it, and I agree, it's a great idea and concept and everything. And I was excited about it for a time. But if they're not going to be able to even keep Star Wars games locked down, and it's probably because it just hasn't sold as well, even though I know there's pretty high demand, especially right now. Boy, talk about something that's isolating, right? You know, VR headsets have got to be going through the roof right now with people stuck at home. But anyway, yeah, losing losing your your console exclusives, I don't see this taking off. And there's a big conversation that we could have around that. Maybe we'll have it in a future gaming grid. But as soon as I saw that, I was, you know, head in hand. It's like, oh, fuck. Way to go, Oculus. You just lost. <laughs> but Or at least you're not going to have like a dominant share. Uh, and it's funny too, because John Carmack came out and said they thought that the, the, the competition for the Oculus quest really was the Nintendo switch. That's who they were competing against, not the PlayStation. Well, the PlayStation just sucked up your market share, quite frankly. So anyway, uh, I'll get into, why don't we go ahead and do this a quick mini review? Very, very quick. Cause it's going to be relevant to our album of the week. And that is for what I think. And I've actually read other people mention it something I think that could be game of the year. And that is streets of rage Four. it finally came out. I've played it on the Nintendo switch. It is stunning. I heard on GOG. It does not have multiplayer. Ouch. Uh, because that's a big winner here uh, is to be able to admittedly games like this, these kind of beat em up classics, them having online multiplayer is giving many of these games a new lease on life because myself growing up, uh, I, 
unless it was like the, the Ninja Turtle games for NES or Super Nintendo, you know, you basically had to go to the arcade. And of course you wouldn't be able to do that now, but you had to go to the arcade. And there were times I remember growing up where I would pay for some fucking stranger. You know, I'd pay for him to play the arcade game just so I could actually get further in Ninja Turtles, right? In the beat em up for Ninja Turtles or for Knights of the Round, which is probably my favorite along with AVP, you know, Aliens versus Predator. Or yeah, I'd be playing Aliens versus Predator in the arcade and I'd pay for some idiot to play with me just so that I had a better chance. And basically just so the aliens had some other target to go after besides myself so that I could see the fucking end of the game. Right. <laughs> and it can be difficult, you know, to find people to play beat em up games with you. And so having the online multiplayer component, this is one of the, usually I don't like online multiplayer, but this is one of the cases where, okay, this is great <laughs> because now we have people who can help us get through these fucking games. You know what I mean? And so with streets of rage four to have that, I think that's kind of important. Also understand the, the main, uh, uh, campaign single player campaign, I think probably would top out at like four or five hours, depending upon how good you are at it. And if you're really good, you probably get through it in a couple. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff that they've added into it. There's a ton of unlockable characters. There are retro levels that you can get secret access to and everything at certain levels in the game, uh, which adds a lot of replayability. This is a stunning game. This is a perfect game uh, in every metric. The music is perfect. I'm not going to talk about that right now. I'm going to save that. The music is perfect, though, which is what Streets of Rage 2 particularly was so well known for, was the soundtrack is considered one of the greatest soundtracks, not just gaming soundtracks, one of the greatest soundtracks of all time. Um, this is there. Deliver, you know, the, the music is there delivering on the action. No problem. Uh, the characters, the buttons are fairly basic, even though they've added in some nice touches where you have a separate button to pick up items now, right. To like pick up, uh, the, you know, the knife or a pipe or, you know, whatever the Turkey, you know, to, 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 to up your health. That works really well. Um, there's so much here that they, the, the couple buttons that they added in do it just right, you know, to where they don't make the game too complex and anybody can basically pick it up. But then if you really want to get nitty gritty with it, you can really strategize with the extra buttons, but the button mashing works great exactly as it should. Um, it's, it's a, you know, depending upon what, what level of difficulty you choose with, this can be a really, really punishing game, but the hand drawn artwork of the game is stunning to look at. And it is a type of game art, game graphic design that is going to make this game go for, go for the ages. It's It's just going to last because that's always going to look in style. That's always going to look good, right? There's no argument of 2d versus 3d graphics or polygons or anything like that. This is just always going to be a gorgeous game. It's another thing that adds to its perfection. I mean, if I were to rank it, I mean, out of 10, it's going to get an easy 10 out of 10. Everything just fits, you know, and the little bit of storyline that's there, it, you know, it's enough to, to keep you going, but you know, you're just having a great time going through the streets, doing your business and the, like the unique move sets for each character. And it's really nice. I got to give them credit. It's really nice to be able to switch characters between stages because there's some stages where you really do want a different character, but you know, blaze is there and you want to play with her most of the time because well, 
I mean, you know why if you've played Streets of Rage, but this is a perfect sequel. It brings Streets of Rage back and it does it in a way that feels absolutely modern, absolutely at home on a modern console, but it plays, I feel like I just picked up from, I mean, and there was a Streets of Rage 3, not as good as 2, but you get my point. I feel like I just picked up where I left off and I love that feeling, okay, where they respect that style of play. And it speaks to a huge point that that can be done. You know, you can still make games that are just as addictive and easy to pick up as they were 20 years ago, modernize them just a bit, just enough to where they appeal to the game player perhaps today, or they look good on your screen or whatever, but then you still rock them out like you did back then. And they still feel like a great experience. Now, would I have said that if beat em ups were still commonplace made today? Maybe not. Maybe if the market was really flooded with beat em ups, it wouldn't have been such a big deal. But I don't know. I think the the level of, of smoothness and perfection and precision of controls that this game delivers, I think it still would have been an absolute standout. Um, I mean, I still love beat-em-ups. My game of the year for 2016 was, uh, was Double Dragon 4. Easily. Uh, I could probably say that Streets of Rage 4 is going to be game of the year uh, for Sovereign Tech when that time comes around. Uh I'm just, I'm, I'm in awe. So pick it up. If you haven't, I think it's totally worthwhile on whatever system you or whatever platform you go for it. Be warned that on GOG, there's no multiplayer that might not matter to you. Maybe they're going to re-implement it later or they're going to implement it later. I don't know. Um, but I am aware that that's not there. And, and I would argue that in this case, it might be an essential component. If you don't have someone else to play with, you're going to want to find somebody online to, you know, get your unlockables, get through the game, perhaps more. So, you can do it single player, but it's not half as fun or, and the difficulty might be a little bit above board if you, you know, if you're just doing it on your own. So just things to consider with it. Anyway, Streets of Rage 4, check it out. I'll be Game right back over. with more Sonic. The most incredible television event ever as you join the crew of Battlestar Galactica. Right here, you creepy crawling. for life in a hostile galaxy. Most of us are dead. Alone, with only one hope, Battlestar Galactica and her crew. There is no other destination. Commander Adama, Captain Apollo, the intrepid Starbuck, and the dazzling Athena, searching for a new and peaceful world. We may as well live for today. We might not have many left. Let the attack Album of the Week. Time for Album of the Week, and just following up with what we were talking about, yes, the Album of the Week is none other than the soundtrack to Streets of Rage 4. Uh, and returning to make music for Streets of Rage 4 is none other than the legend from Streets of Rage 2, that being uh, Motohiro Kawashima, who he doesn't do the entire soundtrack for Streets of Rage 4. There's a lot of people involved with it. Um, but also uh, Yuzo Koshiro is involved, which they were basically the tag team that made that amazing soundtrack for Streets of Rage 2, which is, you know, legendary to this day, uh, especially in the electronic scene. Um, they're they're here. Uh, Olivier de Rivera, 
I hope maybe I'm pronouncing that name right. Maybe I'm not, uh, is kind of the main thrust behind this, but there are plenty of others involved in creating a, I mean, it, it all fits as one sound when you're playing through the game, but it's a very eclectic mix. Uh, this soundtrack is amazingly getting released. And I know the, the classic soundtracks are getting re-released as well. Uh, but there it's getting released on vinyl of all things as well, uh, but you can get it digitally and, uh, just a, a brilliant, brilliant soundtrack. Uh, the, the digital edition I have has 35 tracks and I mean, it's worth listening to every, yeah, you, you, you could definitely go walking down the street and rock this thing. Great time to be had by all again. I mean, there's a little bit, a little rock in there, little synth, uh, Definitely a lot of, you know, your, your electronic, right? Almost trance music at points. Um, I mean, it's it's a very mixed bag, but it all comes together perfectly in the game and outside of the game. I think it's worth listening to it on its own. So even if you're not somebody that plays video games, I recommend every Streets of Rage soundtrack. They're, they're tremendous. A lot of game soundtracks are fucking brilliant. Um, again, even if you don't play games, I mean, some of the most like more epic stuff that, you know, maybe more instrumental style. Like if you ever listen to the soundtrack for, uh, well, like Octopath Traveler, stunning, stunning, you know, and the, and that's like four discs. And, oh, it's amazing. So check it out. The soundtrack for Streets of Rage for, especially if you're into electronic music, you're definitely going to, and, and some synth wave and everything. You want something a little more retro. You're really going to get it with this, but, but great production. Great, great production. So anyway, check it out. Uh, Streets of Rage for the soundtrack. We'll be right back with more Sovereign Tech. Hey, baby, I know, I know you are tired of Gmail. You have had enough. Well, I have a solution for you. What I want you to do is you go to Fastmail, okay? It's fastmail.sovereigntech.com. That's the URL you can use. You're going to get a discount with that. You are going to love this. This is email for email's sake. This company does nothing more. Just email and they do it right. All the latest security technologies you want to log into your account with your YubiKey, you can do that. Fastmail has your hookup. Very inexpensive plans. I want you to check it out. You go to fastmail.sovereigntech.com. That'll get you the hookup and it's an honor to have them as a part of Sovereign Tech. Woo! Let's get back to the show. The Golden Stallion doing whatever he wants to do. The Climax. It is time for the Climax. And, you know, we got kind of a shorter one here. And I'm basically, I want to introduce you to something that I am exploring. So as a tech journalist, I, I find it, uh, incumbent of me to, you know, know as much as I can with a lot of these platforms. Now, I mean, if we ended up in a world where everybody stopped using windows and I never have to talk about it again, Hey, great. You know, <laughs> we could talk about Linux all day long. Let's do it. Um, well, where I think we're getting there anyway, but <laughs> Something that I've turned uh, somewhat of a blind eye to over the years is iOS. And there's a story, which I'll actually probably save for the next Sovereign Tech. But um, 9to5Mac reported on this that there is, of course, we talked about the uh, efforts that Google and Apple are engaging in for contact tracing. And 9to5Mac reported that on iOS... Um, COVID-19 exposure notifications, as they're calling them, 
are going to be turned on by by default in iOS version 13.5. Now, at first, you'll need a separate app that can actually do anything with those notifications or activate them, but the ability to do so will be on by default. It's not going to be opt-in, it's going to be opt-out. You have to turn that off. Okay, I'll talk about this in in an upcoming episode. And so basically, with all of this happening, I want firsthand experience with iOS. And so I ended up getting a used seventh generation, which is the latest one uh, from 2019 uh, iPod touch. And there's other reasons that I want to mess with this. I want to compare it to Android and everything, you know, and, and basically, I mean, I've no, I know about a lot of the technicals of iOS, but as far as like the actual user experience, um, it's something I want to understand better. It's something I want to be able to talk to more since it has gone through such dramatic changes over the years, especially since the last time that I ever really heavily used it. And so getting a latest gen uh, iPod touch, which is basically an iPhone without the phone, I thought would be a handy thing to, to have. And I have messed with this device lately. Um, and this, you know, this will allow me to inform, uh, sovereign tech users, because I know a lot of you also do use, um, iPhones or iPads or anything along those lines. I'm not going to go so far as to getting an iPad or an iPhone for that matter. And actually just spending a little bit of time with the iPod touch has admittedly kind of bolstered my, <laughs> let's just say, I really don't feel bad not being into iOS over the years. Because you get so used to, and again, this is a conversation starter. Eventually I will do a full review of what it's like using iOS and it'll be relative to a lot of these concerns around contact tracing and other things as well. But just from a user experience. So let me say this and try and spin this positively. Okay. Well, all right. No, let me start with this. If you, you know, 10 years ago when Android or over 10 years ago, when Android and iOS became the platforms, okay, that people would use on their phone, I think over time, if you've just used Android or you just started, you know, or you used, you started with iOS and you're still using it, like you're used to what comes with it. Right. And you, you get used to certain ways that you swipe again, these are fondle slabs. So touch is such a huge deal you know, you get set in your ways basically. Okay. And certainly I want to be sensitive to the fact that I am very set in my ways with Android. I mean, again, you're talking to the guy who literally wrote the book, uh, you know, on, on Android security. That's me, Brian sovereign. It's mine. I wrote the book. So obviously I'm knee deep in Android. Okay. Um, so I want to be sensitive to that and that really, you know, the, platform that works best for you is the best platform. That's the ultimate answer when it comes to this sort of thing, right? We can come up with more objective metrics, perhaps of what makes something better, but ultimately what works best for you is what works best for you. And so that makes it the best operating system. Um, the experience of setting up an iOS device, I'll just start by saying this was an absolute pain in the ass, absolute pain in the ass. I mean, in comparison to what it's like to set up, uh, you know, an Android device now granted with an Android device, you know, most people already have a Google account. So that makes things a lot easier and things being a pain in the ass usually means, or can often mean that they're, it's either one or two things. They're just not intuitive or they're secure. 
right? Being a pain in the ass, right? There's always the 10th law of thermodynamics, right? There's a trade-off between security and convenience. And I can recognize where a lot of what Apple has done on iOS is a matter of security. And I can appreciate that. Okay. You know, I, I, I really can, but there are so many just UI things that have nothing to do with security that, I mean, some have to do with security that this, this has been a genuine pain. Like, do you know how difficult it is <laughs> just to have, you know, uh, locally stored music on this device that you put on there yourself? You have to go through iTunes, basically, unless you want to have it in a, cl- in a cloud device, but then none of that's being really locally stored, right? Uh, the players for such are terrible. I mean, Apple has put crazy restrictions on how long uh, an app can run in the background. Again, I, I can get the the advantage arguments for a lot of this stuff, but this has been a real pain in the butt. And so this is something that that I am I am going through and I'm going to do a fuller review on. Um, but I will say this about iOS. If you want to engage with the modern world, okay, as in, you know, you're not the kind who has a large music library. You're not the kind that has like a large library of your own on anything. And you just engage, you just use streaming services and um, I don't know, whatever you use a lot of, uh, you know, varying apps to do things, to, you know, that you take notes on and you, all of that. iOS is great for engaging the modern world that we live in. Okay. If you, I feel like if you exist outside of that modern world in any appreciable way, if you do anything different than what, than the way Silicon Valley tells you to do things, iOS is not for you, <laughs> or at least it might be a pretty phone that has GPS on it and whatever else. But that's just, that's my, my first blush with using iOS. I have had a tear and like the app store, the app store is so not intuitive. It is so not user-friendly unless you're just looking for something to spend a ton of money on IAPs, you know, and in-app purchases on it sucks. Like even trying just to get to where you can update apps uh, manually pain in the ass. Everything's just everything really. And, and that I get where this is where some of that security argument comes in, right? Like your ability to access different folders, you know, I'm glad that it comes with a great stock file manager, but like you can barely access anything within that. Now I understand that that's where security comes in, right? Okay. Like I have to specifically put with a lot of the apps I was trying to do the music I would locally install on the device. I had to put them in a specific file for a specific app. It's not like the app could access a shared folder. Now to some degree you can do that, but most of them to, for it to work the way that they had programmed it to do it. You had to put it in that apps folder. I mean, just, just stuff that if you're a power user of any kind, you'd never put up with any of this, you know? So it feels very much like a platform. I mean, I'm just going to, and look, I know brilliant people who use iOS. I'm not knocking anything like I'm not knocking you. I'm just saying it feels like Apple took a lot of measures to try and just lock shit down to keep the dum-dums secure. 
And I'm not even necessarily saying that that's a bad idea, but then I am just, you know, using this device for a good while. I am not seeing the magic. I am not looking at this. In fact, like I go to the app store and this was the big thing that I was expecting to experience is that I'm going to go to the Apple app store and there's going to be so many apps there that are just so fucking mind blowing that are so, holy shit, how did I ever not have this in my life? And I go there and I'm like, well, what's the big deal? <laughs> you know, it's- like, wait a minute. Hell, VLC is neutered on this platform compared to Android. It's not good. <laughs> I don't get what everybody's talking about. I don't understand why the hell. I mean, you know, you know what is great on here? Okay, I'll give credit where it's due. Apple's apps are pretty damn good. And I've never said differently. I've always said that I understand that GarageBand on iPad or even Pages, you know, like they're um, you know, all of those things that are, that are built into this, those are dynamite and far superior to what Google does or what's available on Android and so on. But that's just Apple's apps. But then most people I talk to aren't really necessarily using Apple's apps. So I, I'm baffled. Someone has to explain to me what the big deal is here. And you can email me questions at sovereigntech.com and you can tell me I, and I am seriously, I'm not being, I'm not going to like make fun of you. I want to know. Like you tell me what is the grandeur of using iOS? Because a, I don't think it's simple. I don't think it's intuitive. I, I mean, even just doing something as simple as deleting an email from a notification requires. I mean, I mean, it, it, I know what you hit, you hit, uh, not manage, you hit view, right. And then you hit delete and it's just, there's, there's a complete lack of control. If you're any kind of power user on here. And tell me if I'm wrong. Maybe I just haven't had enough time with it. And that's why I'm not doing a full review, but my full review is coming, but I will just put this out there. I am really not impressed. That's great that it's so secure, but I'm really not impressed with, with what, what I see before me. And I want to be impressed and I'm putting it out to you. The listeners impress me, explain it to me. I am open to hearing why iOS is just the greatest fucking thing since sliced bread isn't great i don't know why it's the greatest thing since star trek there how about that because that that was great back in the day Uh, how about that explain it to me i want to know i'm trying to find out and i just i'm not seeing anyway that's it for this week's sovereign tech we'll wrap this baby up and uh more sovereign tech to come as well as more user podcast all kinds of fun stuff i will see all of you on the other side Thank you for listening to Sovereign Tech, an Osiris One production. Now go out there and make some trouble. <laughs>